uh, it's been human as fuck, which is yeah. actually the HUD, the headband is part that's, of that. That's the real pain. It's like so fucking humid outside. I mean, yeah. I mean, finally summer is here. So, anyways, yeah. But so, oh man, I am so psyched to talk about Michael Clayton. I am too. I because, am super. Yes. So let me start off with this, talking about that movie. So I'll just jump right into it. A couple of things stood out to me right away when I watched this again. And I've watched it like twice in the last week because I saw it was streaming on HBO, which is fantastic. Yeah. So the first thing that struck me about it was that it's it's ironic and, you know, probably intentional. Um, the fact that Sidney Pollack has such a huge supporting role in this movie. Because if this movie is made in 1978, yeah. Sidney Pollock directs it with Robert Redford in the, in the George Clooney role. Am I wrong or am I, uh, uh, no, is that, that's, it's, that's what's what it would, that's what it would have been, right? I just watched last week, uh, Three Days of the Condor. Yeah, it's, and, exact, and it's, it's exactly, exactly like that. that. Yeah. It, it, it's a, it hits all of the elements of a, that kind of, that beautiful late 70s, truly auteur, really American type of, thriller that was a it's a it's a it was a i don't want to call it a niche but there was a definite definite spate of these great movies uh the late 70s that this movie feels like with a with a very of course you know it's obviously set in the mid 2000s with a very with a feeling about that but it's 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 got all the hallmarks of one of those classic american movies uh, an incredibly incredibly well-written screenplay um that same kind of traditional structure, great cast, great, great performances throughout. Uh, and it's, you know, written and directed by the same, by an author, by a, uh, you know, writer director, which is again, something that's, it's just a, it's a real throwback movie that is almost kind of miraculous that we saw get released in the, in the 2000s. I think that's exactly correct. I think, remember too, uh, the influence of George Clooney, George Clooney yeah. loves those kinds of thrillers, the mid seventies, like paranoia thrillers. And it's something that is missing from the kind of movie cinema or panoply, sorry, of like, <laughs> what happened to the thriller? What happened to the to drama? The adult, that... To the adult thriller too. Yes, the, it, the thriller yes. that does not talk down to its audience and it engages yeah. it on a level that is more than something tawdry or this this is a movie that is trusts in its trusts in its its audience's intelligence more than anything else yes, and you can't say that absolutely. for a lot of modern movies you know absolutely it's, it's not it's not uh twisty it's not like it's not an m night Shyamalan type of a thing it's yeah it's not gimmicky it's just a very straightforward movie which is uh brilliant and it's kind of direct storytelling you know what i mean yes yes exactly yeah and this is i don't know whose influence it was who decided that these films were not worth it for the audience that's the unfortunate thing is that when you look at the 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 landscape of the 1970s film you think of new hollywood you think of all these auteurs and these hot shots and all that stuff but like this did not have to go away. The movie that costs 20 million to make and makes 80 million at the box office in like today's dollars did not have to go away. And the thing is that the irony, the irony, the forgotten fact about this is that these movies 
are still out there in certain ways. Like Michael Clayton has way more in common with like Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. That's a great, great example. Yeah. Or, um, or even look, honestly, like a movie like Get Out mm-hmm. has more in common with Michael Clayton than Michael, than whatever, I don't know what, what would be a contemporary target of Michael Clayton that, or like a comp, but there, but, but cinema that hinges on conversation and what some of our favorite directors called the unfolding of a story. Mm-hmm. Like these dramas, they are out there, but they're rare. They're few and far between. Consciousness. Yes, exactly. And certainly with like the marquee names, like, like still Sidney Pollack at the time, like Tilda Swindon, with like George Clooney, I mean, these people, those folks choose these kinds of projects, but otherwise it's not often that you get these kinds of movies. And the, the, the funny thing is, is that when they emerge, they explode, but they explode on, on a level of kind of cinephiles maybe, or it's, budding yeah. cinephiles. It's funny that you bring that up too, because uh, you, you brought up Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy, which I think is one of my top, 10 movies of that decade of that decade and a, a very underrated movie and a very strangely rewatchable movie. I, I see, I come, I watch that movie three or four times a year because it's got that same sort of atmosphere that this movie does. It's, it's a very intelligent spy thriller. So yeah. And it's, it's again, very few and far between these movies are, and you know, it's something else that sparked in that, but in that this, when we were just talking about the seventies movies in particular, I find it really interesting the fact that the single Marvel movie that has that is the most acclaimed is Winter Soldier, which yeah. at its core is written and it, you know even features Robert Redford in, yeah. in a movie that's based on the paranoid like the Parallax View and Three Days of the Condor and that same sort of thing, and they actually you know cast Robert Redford as as the the bad guy in sort of a throwback. To that. Ironically, so, yeah, yeah, the bad guy, the which heavy, was Robert Redford, and, and it's 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 it's. And it's, I think it was a conscious decision by the, the screenwriters who did that. And they, they, I think they ended up writing all the rest of the Avengers movies after that. And the, obviously Captain America's, but yeah, it was nice to see that as kind of a throwback to this. And it's, it was just, it's just really good. Every time I watch this, I just, it kind of reaffirms my faith and there's still some, they're, they're still making some great movies, which yeah. kind of brings me to my second point in this. I looked up that year in movies um, for the Oscars specifically, this is one of the great years in American cinema history. I mean, look at the three, mo- look at the five movies. Now it's very top heavy, but the th- three movies that are in con- contention for best picture this year are No Country for Old Men, yeah. There Will Be Blood, and Michael cool. Clayton, which is a complete murderer's row. I mean, wow. which any one of those could have won any other year. It's like an MV. It's like when three great players have an M- have a MVP season. You're trying to choose between Michael Jordan and Carl Malone and Tim Duncan or somebody. But yeah. this is an incredible year for movies. And yeah. uh, I mean, no country. I mean, no country hold for old men ends up winning that year. Which mm-hmm. I mean. In retrospect, the Coens had, it's not, it wasn't shocking in the moment and the Coens had never won a best director Oscar or best picture. 
I don't think sent. Uh, I don't think no, because Fargo lost to Fargo lost. Yeah, which is which was you know. Dead in, Man in, Walking. No, I think it was a. I think it was the English Patient actually. Something, oh, okay. Which again, so you go back in time, you give them that for Fargo, and you give the, you give Paul Thomas Anderson this for There Will Be Blood. I think that is the kind of thing if you were gonna, mm-hmm. you know retroactively give these out i think that's my, that might be what you do but my this is just a stack category so let's go over the oscars again clooney doesn't win for michael clayton which you know i'm fine with daniel day lewis wins of course for there will be blood yeah. um tongue wilkinson win uh, gets nominated for his performance his supporting performance but javier bardem wins for no country for old men which which was a must honestly yeah I mean, you he, can he just it what he what he portrayed, what he did, like you you see that. I mean, it's definitely it was a great year. Uh, to be honest, like there will be blood to me stands out as the one film in there that has the fewest predecessors, which I think yeah. is kind of a qualifier for a best picture category um, or a best picture tale. But one thing you got to note in those three movies is no the cynicism of the bush era especially the late bush look 9-11 influenced fucking every single thing that happened after 9-11 anything that was touched by and and you know george clooney who was on a run after september 11th of like syriana the american and And good night good good luck luck. yeah it's it's it is his run from His run from, say, after he did Batman, I mean, Clooney's a fascinating figure, and I, I, this yeah. is another topic I want to talk about, but Clooney's a very fascinating figure. The fact that he's so politically aware with his dad, you know, his dad being the, that famous oh, Kentucky right. newscaster and everything, yeah. or Cincinnati newscaster, and, you know, kind of an auteur in his own right. But that run he goes on from, um, you know, he has the completely reasonable, completely reasonable idea to, you know, go do Batman course it's awful but you i think it starts when he starts working with the coens i mean he does oh brother where art thou in 2000 right yeah and then he he just he does what every actor he just works with the best directors out there i mean he then he starts working with soderbergh for the oceans movies and then what happens after that he does syriana he does good night and good luck um and then he just keeps on going with he starts directing when he, yeah, he starts directing. Yeah, got, then he Confessions of a Dangerous Mind is in there. Under, very underrated movie. Yeah, and then and then he just goes. He does such a great run of acting performances. Where it's this one, it's um, Up in the Air, which is again a tremendous movie. You want to talk about a yeah. a movie that captures its era kind of perfectly? Yeah, it's up in the air. Right. It really does. Really and then does, the descent, yeah. and then the descendants, which is he's. I mean, he all he's doing is working with great directors. Jason Reitman. He's working with Alexander Payne. He's working with Soderbergh. Yeah. He just he's just knocking it out. Yeah. He's got, he's in terms of he, it's kind of like what Brad Pitt does. I mean, all he does is work with the yeah. best directors, and he he they they can pick and choose their stuff, and people want to work with them. So yeah, yeah it, it's this is kind of his. I don't want to say it's his apex. I, I think it's. I mean, he wins the Oscar for Syriana. But when I think of him as a movie star, this is the first movie I think of for for Clooney. Is that sure. what, what about what about you? I mean, what do you think of when you think of Clooney as a movie star? When I, I you you get past you've got to get past the Hollywood stuff because mm-hmm. remember what was the Nicole Kidman movie, The Peacemaker? The Peacemaker, which is actually which is actually a very solid action movie. 
Well, see, I those that movie I is like the phase one of Clooney of like proving that he had cinema chops. Because remember, it's a hard thing. A lot of people die in the process of moving from TV to film. Yeah, and we, and we and we yeah, and we yeah. cannot underrate just how big his ER turn was. Like, I mean, he was the biggest television star. I mean, of the '90s, uh, probably. And and the guy yeah. who a guy who'd just been going around and doing some real shit for like decades yeah. before he somehow just explodes on ER, and that was the biggest show on television for a long, totally. for like five years, basically. It was it was huge, and it and it created like. But look at the other people who were kind of in that orbit who they kind of thought maybe does Noah Wilde transition? He, he, it, no, Anthony I mean, Edwards? he could have been David Caruso. He, I mean, if he doesn't yeah. do the right things, he could have been what yeah. David, David Caruso leaves NYPD Blue after his first season when it's a really good comparison, actually, if I'm going to pat myself on the back. But David Caruso, <laughs> the first season of NYPD Blue, the biggest yeah. debut ever. And he just goes and leaves, and then there's the South Park joke about Ike, do your do your impression of David Caruso's career, and he just jumps out of the yeah. just jumps out of the air with the spaceship into the snow. I mean, he could have been that, and but you know, to and it's it didn't start off too well because I mean, the first thing he does out of the gate is Batman and Robin, which holy shit, I mean, <laughs> it's you don't turn it's it just down. hysterical. No, you don't I, but and down. you don't, and it still made no. a lot of money, right? Yeah, but then sure. he does yeah, like yeah. he does like that friggin um that one fine day with michelle Pfeiffer. so you can see what he's trying to do he's trying to do like a romantic I comedy that movie. I hate to it's say not it. bad I it really isn't bad it's like it's just like whatever it's just a stupid movie i mean what but is I, his story yeah. uh, and then we forget you know he, i forgot i forgot he did from dust till dawn which i use like guilty pleasure uh, totally. yeah sure but yeah. mostly for salma hayek of course and and the vampire thing so he's he's trying to be when he tries to be a movie star he does you know the action movie and the pacemaker he does the pacemaker the peacemaker Pacemaker would be a much different movie. I'm sorry, I almost made you spit up your gin and tonic. Christian Bale starting that about Dick Pacemaker. Right? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. God, I forgot about that. But he tries <laughs> to be a movie. But when he starts off the movie star, he does a you know he does smart things. I mean, the Peacemaker was if, if you remember that was the first movie that DreamWorks ever did because that was the the new studio, uh, studio that Spielberg and uh, Katzenberg, whatever that guy, they his name is did. And, so uh, he does. He tries to do romantic comedy, um, yeah. and he tries to do an action movie, and then he tries to do a superhero. And then he tries to do a superhero movie, so nothing really pops. And he was almost the butt of a joke for a little while, and then he just starts working with the best directors. And yeah. he does Oh Brother, which, I mean, that's personally, that's my favorite Coen Brothers movie. I could watch that every day. It's just so goddamn great. And then he just works with Soderbergh, and bam, he's off. But he, there's something, I, I don't, sometimes like i don't know if it's the era makes the man or the man makes the era but he his sensibility mm. found its footing with a conservative president and with a country in cynical free-for-all mm -hmm. and people connected with that i think especially like adult liberals or maybe like I don't know if you want to say like white liberals, but when you look at like Good Night and Good Luck was very important. It was a very important movie of its era, you know. Absolutely. And it's it's a it's a great movie. And I remember I saw that in the theaters like three or four times because, you know, it, it's very much it, it's it's very true. It's it's very much a movie for the John Stewart liberals out there, you know. Oh, John Stewart liberals making, making yeah, yeah. is making Edward R. Murrow's struggle against 
the the Joe McCarthy into like an avatar of what the hell's going on. I mean that that speech yeah. that that uh, David Sutherin gives at the end about the television and it's the lights in the box and all the rest of that stuff that really didn't ring true of that. You know, yeah. and it's it's a great movie. And then he does Syriana a year later, which we, I think you know it's, it's the same year because he got nominated for supporting yeah. actor in that That's right and then he he wins supporting actor but doesn't win best picture or anything else and, which i think he made a joke about it yeah his line his line was yeah. I, I i guess this means i'm not going to win best director right um, and, then, lost and then syriana is i mean it's it's a it's a impenetrable movie to my it's it's got a lot of flaws but it, it, he's really good in it and it's it's kind of which i think is intentional it was intentionally made yeah. to be just this kind of mess of a movie because there it's a commentary on the oil situation and just yeah. how this seeps into everything and then he goes and does so and then that leads up to just his establishment of being truly in the a-list so sure then yeah. he does <clears throat> then he does this movie michael clayton which let's just dive right into this this is it's it is remarkable too that this is the first movie that was that tony gilroy the director ever did he wrote and directed this movie but if you look at his career before this as a writer, it's kind of fascinating. You know what the first movie he ever wrote was? Did you look? Did you happen to look this up? No, I did. It, it is the figure skating romance movie called The Cutting Edge. Which I remember, kind of, what that? It's The Cutting Tony Edge. Roy? The first movie he film. ever wrote was The Cutting Edge, which is actually a really fun, charming movie with uh, DB Sweeney and Wyra Kelly from like the early. I think it's set in like '92. But Tony Gilroy um, came and did, I'm trying to think of what else that he did. I think, I know he wrote the, I think he wrote The Devil's Advocate um, oh that gosh. totally, I think it's one of, speaking of guilty pleasure movies. Yes. Yeah, so this is what he writes. He writes the adaptation of Dolores Claiborne, which is not very good. The Jennifer Jason Lee movie. Uh, it's yeah. not the Stephen King book. He writes The Devil's Advocate, which is yeah. again, totally guilty pleasure. Pacino just eating the shit out of the scene. That was an interesting movie. It's I, yeah, it's I mean, not bad. It's very lurid, but it's it's actually not yeah, bad. But that's one of those where you feel like some producer came along and said, "Oh, let, let's make this sexier." Like well, there's, there's giving, giving, giving Keanu Reeves a, a southern accent in that movie is is a really terrible idea. You can only go so far with that. Yeah. And then, uh, and then what else? He, he is one of the like a thousand credited screenwriters on Armageddon, which <laughs> yeah. is hilarious. Yeah. I, if that was in the area, that was in the era where they were just, um, you know, all these action movies are just paying billions of dollars for screenwriters to come in and punch things up. That's why like Quentin Tarantino worked on the rock yeah. and Aaron Sorkin worked on the rock and Tarantino wrote that one thing about uh, the silver surfer in Crimson Tide. So yeah, yeah that, sure. that's, the prime, the prime of that, like Andrew, I think Robert Town wrote some of Armageddon too. Um, so then he goes on to write, oh, he wrote, he writes Proof of Life, the uh, Russell Crowe, Meg Ryan movie that he had the affair with, uh, the Russell, yeah. Russell Crowe having yeah, the affair. So long, Dennis Quaid. Yeah. And then he writes all three of the Bourne, the first three Bourne movies, um, yeah. which is kind of interesting. It's, uh, I mean, I love the first one. I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of the other two, frankly. Um, but yeah, and then which comes brings him to Michael Clayton, which from what I read, speaking of some of the uh, half-assed internet trivia on the, uh, the Rewatchables um, podcast, but it was originally written or offered to uh, Denzel Washington, which I could totally see, frankly. Yeah, of course. Yeah. 
Yeah, my, I mean, Denzel plays into that too. There are, there's a certain caliber of like actiony male who, and I hate to say that male, this is, I'm speaking to that era and it's different now, or I hope it's different now. I guess, I don't know if it's different now. Are we doing our part to make it different now? I but, mean, um, yeah. Kind of, maybe, but um, probably not. Um, never enough. Uh, it's funny. Like, it's funny. I could see, uh, you know, if if they, I could see Tilda, I could see Tilda Swinton playing the lead role in this. If they playing the lead role, it. yeah. Or somebody sure. like somebody like Kate Absolutely. Blanchett. Somebody like Kate Blanchett could could do this yeah. and just knock it out of the park. But uh, yeah. yeah, but yeah. no, I get what you're saying. There's a there's a certain grav like gravitas, but but um, sensibility that not too many actors have yeah. that could pull this off. I think it's yeah, yeah it's Denz, it's Denzel. It's it's. It's got to be somebody who's a leading man, but can has something a little bit interesting. Like Ryan Gosling, yeah. I think, could do it something like this. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm not quite there's, sure. There's, what else. there's gotta be. It's gotta be people who seem or appear to be as if they're on the verge of violence, mm-hmm. but aren't there. Like I think about honestly, I I I'm thinking about the role, not necessarily the actor, but like when you look at uh, on the Waterfront, which mm. is my favorite film. Okay. When you look at Marlon Brando and On the Waterfront, he is a brute, but he's always playing. He's every scene feels as if he's on the verge of violence, and it creates this second, third layer of tension to every scene that actually ramps up the action of it, and it ramps up the experience of watching it. Because in yeah. Michael Clayton. A lot of the time you really, because we, because Clooney's character is inherently mysterious, we, uh, we keep unfolding and he, the, his looks, his long glares, like opening the movie with him going to the guy's house who just had the hit and run and you just see the, the visage of an angry Clooney. You- Angry and frustrated, trapped. Yeah. It's it's trapped. I'm yeah. thinking of that the one of the scenes too in the early, in one of the early montages, a very effective scene in which he he's going through and sort of doing his daily risk, doing daily routine about the fixer, and he he talks to he talks to the one person on the phone. And he's like, "All right, just let me get a pen." And he just he's just yeah. sitting there, but he's already got the pen in his hand, so he's just yeah, trying to like kill exactly. some time yeah. and everything. Yeah. It, what what he does so effectively in this movie is kind of capture that frustration and that sense of being trapped and also hitting on all of the things that um that have kind of gone well all the things that he's gone that's gone wrong in his life uh, mm-hmm. even though he's been ostensibly successful and the fact that he just feels he somehow got himself boxed into this this one role um and it, it the one of the best scenes in the movie i think is when sydney pollock's telling him you know You've you've got what everybody else needs. You got every, what everybody else has to have. You have a niche. You know you're in this you're in this thing, and yeah. you could tell what he's just trying to get out of this, and he's just yeah. feels everything collapsing in on its in on yeah. itself. So, yeah, he's so. I mean, this it's it's a movie full of amazing performances. You know, just yeah. just from everybody on down. I mean, Tilda Swinton. It's it's, it's uh, he she won the Oscar, well deserved, and she beat a really great. She has a really great year. I think. I think everybody going into that year thought uh, Amy Ryan was going to win the best supporting actress for her role in Gone Baby Gone. That's at least what I thought. 
So I was a little bit shocked when Tilda Swinton won it. But, um, you know, going back, just just her performance in this movie is, is miraculous. The fact she so captures this, a woman who's a person that's completely compromised in her values, but putting on this kind of corporate sense about it, like a CEO, a driven CEO who's it, yeah. just the, the one scene, her, the best scene in this movie is the two, two things that, that jump out right, right at the front to me is the first scene where they show her, you know, getting ready and, and almost collapsing with nervous exhaustion, trying to put on the deodorant in her room. And then the scene when she's talking to the hitman about, killing but she can't bring herself to actually say she she's she's talking in such corporate speak about the yeah. act of assassination which is a, a nice microcosm of what kind of this movie is is about in terms of the the, cor- the corporate angle for it yeah i remember too in that last scene you know of course i i rewatched it uh as it's so rewatchable mm-hmm. i rewatched it the other night and i i rewatched it with my wife who'd never seen it before and in that scene specifically where she's speaking to the hitman, you know she both can't say the thing that she wants mm-hmm. and doesn't know that she's the kind of person who wants what she knows she has to say. Mm-hmm. And that cross-section, mm-hmm. and even the hitman with his kind of rote... Corporate, very corporate, openness, very corporate, yeah. like all business yeah. type of a thing, which is uh, yeah. another one of the miraculous aspects of this. Everybody seems so professional in this movie too, which is something yeah. that is another thing. And we're, speaking of great performances, one thing, one more thing I want to hit is this Tom Wilkinson, also Oscar nominated, but okay. just just a, a delight in this movie going, going back and forth so effectively from a guy who's off of his meds to showing just how brilliant he is from one scene yeah. or the other. Uh, the scene yeah. when, you see when he's carrying the bread, yeah. he's carrying yeah. the bread into the apartment and he goes from talking about to, you know, seeming crazy just to going up to, to yeah. using his legal mind. It's, it's just fantastic. And then, you know, we're not even yeah. talking about Sidney Pollock, just another fantastic, uh, 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 a guy who made a career, not only in being an incredible director, but having these incredibly showy and great supporting roles in, in this movie, yeah. in yeah. Um, Eyes Wide Shut. I always think Let's of see. him with, Tootsie, of course. He, it's yeah. tomato. You heard tomato that doesn't talk. Yeah. So my favorite scene in Tootsie is oh, when so is Michael, Michael, right at that very end of the movie, when he goes to confront him and, and he goes, Les, he proposed to me. And Sidney Pollock goes, What well, what do you say? <laughs> so, That's a very underrated movie, too. I, I'm not sure how good it I'm not sure how well it ages, but still it's great. And then also, of course, yeah. an eyes wide shut. I just think of him with like oh, yeah. the speedball hooker on the couch and him yeah. and just like the suspenders. <laughs> just just the oh, line the there. Suspenders and no shirt. Watch yeah, it, yeah. Watching Tom yeah. Cruise try to do his work. A great supporting yeah. actor, too. Just a guy who's and, always been there. Yeah. Exactly. And remember, too, in that movie where we see him with his shirt off complaining about the prostitute passing out and yeah. what it 10 it, 10 minutes earlier five minutes earlier in the chronology of the movie he's downstairs greeting the doctor yeah. greeting tom cruise greeting kidman like just having a good time at his party i i swear it's, it's a movie that i mean we should talk about that in a separate because man oh man it's it's funny uh, the first time i saw it i watched it just because i wanted to see nicole and kidman naked of course but which you know, obvious, whatever. But it's a movie that, is, boy, you get old. It's as you get older, that movie just becomes something so bizarre. It's so strange, but it's it's it feels, 
it feels more and more like the reality that I almost wish was so easy to articulate. Yeah. But like, it does, it doesn't, it, it exists perfectly as a metaphor. I don't know if it exists as a true fucking reference point. Yeah, but god damn it's like it's yeah it's still it's definitely rewatchable yeah all right well speaking of rewatchables we have to we should get yeah. to some of these categories so the first sure. one first one we'd have to talk yeah. about most rewatchable scene there's a lot here for me i, I think everything is, is a little bit of a cop-out but everything at the ending from Clooney threatening showing up just to surprise the hell out of Tilda Swinton to that incredible last scene, which is just the tracking shot of him in the car, in the taxi, just driving away. I think that is, that is just so great. The, the, the dialogue, the conversation we has with Swinton, I think that's the thing that stands out to me when I think about this movie. Um, That's the number, that's number one for me. What about you? The bread, the bread in the alley, the bread. And it's funny to, because in my recollection, always, ever since I first saw this movie, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure with you in our old saw, apartment. It, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Oh, I, saw this, I mean, that I saw wasn't this, your this first the, time. I saw this in the theaters. Yeah. I, I do remember seeing this in the theaters, but I, if, if you watched it with me, you could put, you could say that's the truth. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that you saw this movie and raved so much about it that when it was released, we sat down and watched it together, which is the first time I was transfixed by it. Mm-hmm. But the scene in the alley, Clooney's driving with his son, parks the car, goes in the alley. It's, I mean, that to me is, is the scene of the movie. And it's because, uh, because, Tom Wilkinson is speaking crazy and Clooney's trying to talk him off the ledge. And then Clooney invokes the idea that he would have Wilkinson committed and Wilkinson just breaks and spins off into that perfect legalese monologue (laughs) about how he has no right. And you realize a couple of things in that scene, a, the, the, the wafer, thin line between insanity and brilliance mm-hmm. and two the other that like as in if that's a vertical line the horizontal line of the fact that Clooney doesn't know what he wishes he did right. Clooney knows Clooney uh, George Clooney's character he cannot outbox this brilliant lawyer he knows it and then, but but he also he can he is he can only go so far in what he can do. And he's also a you fixer; could, yeah. he's not a creator. And also, you can see too the pain that this—it's obviously Clooney and uh, Clooney's character and Tom Wilkinson's character had a mentor-mentee type of relationship, almost totally. a father type, father-son type of relationship. Yeah. Um, it, it's a lot going on in that scene, and the more the more you see it, the dialogue's perfect, and everything else is. That's that's up there for me for other for just fantastic scenes in that movie, which of which this whole yeah. thing is is full. I mean, you go back the first time that the first time uh, Tilda Swinton and George Clooney have the conversation in in the uh, in the hotel bar, which Clooney has got that great line about the frostbite. Um, another thing too, the assassination scene when the when the killers take out Tom Wilkinson is so fucking well done in this movie. It's just one shot. everything one shot. 
And the fact that it takes place almost in real time when you see yeah. you see them just waiting around for the poison to take in, to kick in, and yeah. actually stop his heart is yeah. it's it's every time I see that just that one shot of the of the kill because how often do you see that something so professionally done that's not garish and violent, which is almost yeah. makes it more disturbing when you really think about it. Yeah. It's 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 creepy uh, and very effective. And then also in one other scene, I did I think I just mentioned this, but. Just the talk that Tillis Winton has with the assassins, but with the the head assassin before they decide yeah. to actually go about that, it's 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 yeah. very very well done. So yeah, yeah, those Absolutely. are the those are the those okay. So those are the most rewatchable scene. You have the the alley with the bread, and I have that one. So next category, best quote in that. This is easy for me. It's it's right at the end. It's again in that final scene when he just goes. Does it look like I'm negotiating? That's that's yeah, such a and sure. it's like I'm not. It also said that that entire dialogue is great, but it's like I am not the guy you kill. I am the guy yeah. you buy. Brilliant See that dialogue. part for me? Yeah, yeah. When he says I'm the fixer, I'm the guy. I just sold off my partner for eighty thousand dollars in a three year contract. Mm-hmm. Like that crystallization of the movie that we've seen this whole time is is to me just aces it's aces but also tom wilkinson admonishing him to saying you're you're we are fixers we are janitors we're janitors we're janitors we're janitors and he remember too because the movie fucks with chronology that's what he tells Mm -hmm. the 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 guy who hit the guy in the hit and run in the first scene of the movie is I'm not a I'm not a miracle worker. I'm a janitor. Yep. And then we later see in the film Tom Wilkinson say you're a janitor to him, mm-hmm. meaning that he's sourcing his own words in the first scene from something we see in the middle of the film. Yep. Which is just part of the little tiny sly brilliance of the movie. Lots of great structure. Another quote we have to mention too: "I am Shiva, the god of death," said by. Yeah. By both Tom Wilkinson at the very yeah. beginning of his rant, and then Clooney at the end of the movie. After another one of these nominations, you're so fucked. Saying it right to Tilda Swinton as he holds up his flip phone camera. By the way, yeah, that's yeah. that. I was. I'll get that to the in the what's age the worst category. But yeah, a lot yeah. of great quotes. Uh, also, uh, Sidney Pollock pointing at uh, Michael O'Keefe, Danny Noonan from Caddyshack. By the way, I don't know if you picked that up but no um, yeah that's the uh, the the asshole lawyer what he says he's well he says he's an asshole that's that's danny o'keefe uh, that's also noonan from uh that is noonan from gaddyshack the uh successful caddy who wins, the, wins the bushwood barry is it barry barry yes that's danny that's danny o'keefe the former husband of bonnie Raitt. Academy Award nominee for the great Santini and the caddy and of course, uh, Noonan from Caddyshack. So a fascinating career for that guy. Fascinating life for that guy. Strange arc. That's like a Brad Dourif strange arc. Yeah. Apparently he's been, he's been like one of those, those guys that's had a hell of a career, but you just don't kind of know it. Like, like the guy who played uh, Salieri, um, not Salieri, uh, Mozart from, Amadeus, yeah, 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 yeah sure. who is um, who is the guy from Animal House? But he's like Animal he's House, had, yeah. he's had just a and, hell of a career on the scene, yeah. And Ron Howard's Parenthood too. Yes, I forgot. Oh God, uh, he was such an asshole in that movie. Uh, yeah, just exactly. <laughs> yeah. Jason Rovards. Uh, all right, what's dead? Yeah. Oh God, that's an underrated movie too. <laughs> all right, what's aged the best about this movie? 
I have a nominee oh, right my. here. Oh, are you, uh, am I going first or you? Go yeah, first? why don't you go first? I want to see what you came up with. Well, honest to God, the cynicism. Like, and I, I wish that I had something more acute to it. Obviously, the Monsanto parallel is is real and horrifying, but the corporate cynicism. I think about this all the time. And Michael Clayton and the movies that came out in the era, like uh, Children of Men. Like, yeah, it's it's a very yeah, it's a very yeah. very cynical, uh, not negative, but. Um, yeah, cynical is the best way to say it. Uh, fatalistic, almost. Yeah, sure. Yeah, but but I mean, fatalistic literally when they're killing people. Mm-hmm. But um, but I that to me makes the, that that to me is the reason that this movie is rewatchable. That honestly, I, the cyn- cynical movies are more re- rewatchable than optimistic movies. It, uh, it I hate to very, say it like that. No, it's very true. It rings very true, obviously now in our current shitty state of the world too uh, but yeah sure. the rewatch rewatchability of this is something that has to be mentioned i have a very specific rewatchable factor for this and it's something that i noticed you know first when i first saw it but this movie takes place mostly it's a lot of boardrooms it's a lot of uh sort of chilly locations very it's very very cold and antiseptic feeling for a lot of the movie and that extends into the geographic locations just that first scene when he's seeing the wild horses and everything else it takes place in a very i'm sorry specific area couldn't get that word out specific area of new york state which is it's orange county which isn't too far from where i lived in in vernon but it's it's Mm -hmm. a it's kind of a it's not a not really a suburb of new york city it's kind of an exurb it's it's right on the very peak of where people can actually commute into the city it's these kind of it's a it's hudson valley sort of uh it's a lot of these old towns that have these kind of just it's not really sprawl but a lot of a lot of houses like hidden in the woods it's very wooded it's very wooded very dark a lot of just highways with not a lot there it's a strange area and it's it's the area i drive to every time i I go home and i'm always reminded of this movie because there's a very specific feeling this kind of wintry foggy gray type of feeling that sets in for a lot of these scenes especially when he's at home he's at his home which is in, in, in or he's at his family's home which is in washingtonville um, New York, which is again not that far away from it, so it's a very familiar feeling that I have when I I see this movie and I see kind of the exterior shots of this strange, strange exurb land that he goes into that kind of resonates with me because I, I I'm familiar with it. I've always seen it too. So specific thing for what stage the best when I when I watch this movie, but something I I always had to mention because it always kind of rang true. But yeah, it's I mean this movie's aged very very well. It's it's the performances, yeah, it's it's got it's got to be considered one of the classics of its era. So, sure. on the other token of it, on the other side of it, what's age the worst? Um, a corporate, uh, presumably, the implication that a corporation would ever face a lot of, uh, uh, you know, you know, some sort of repercussions for its horrible actions. Sure. <laughs> I mean, I feel very cynical about that. I mean, if this happened in real life, I, they'd probably just pay off some senator or congressman to sweep it under, or not sweep it under the rug, but they'd get like a, totally. a they'd get like a ten million dollar fine and a slap on the wrist, you know, something yeah. like that. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, it's true. It's true. Corporations, they'd rather pay the retainer than pay out the plaintiff, you know? Oh, completely, yeah. The, and uh, in addition to which, I, the, the parts that have aged the worst for me, I mean, obviously the cell phones have aged poorly. <laughs> but his car, ironically or interestingly, doesn't age that well. It's got a touch screen and all yes, that. Yes, I remember no, but, I um, noticed that. That, that, doesn't, that stops working when they put the bomb in yeah, there, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that, that doesn't seem too terrible. Uh, but um, but what, what's aged the worst? <laughs> oh, oh, another thing that stuck in my craw was um, paying him off for $80,000. Yeah, doesn't seem like eighty thousand. Like it's just, it just seems like such a quaint amount of money. But that's just, that's just the way inflation. Well, I mean, works. how much? You got to wonder how much money he was making a year, right? I mean, it's, it's obviously six figures. But that was sure. before. He, I mean, he was obviously very, you know, extended to the hilt, the company car, everything yeah. else. So he didn't have, and he explains it. He doesn't have a lot of assets in his, in his totally. bank account because everything had gone down. It was invested into that that restaurant, that which, restaurant was his escape, yeah. which was his escape from this world but yeah. obviously went to shit when his, his brother was all uh, you know just yeah. wrecked the whole thing so but then remember that's also a statement of his idealism that he would mm-hmm. enter into a business relationship with his brother whom he knows right cannot handle himself yeah and that that is its own little statement that that george Clooney, that michael is an optimistic <laughs> character um, but yeah, the other, the things that have aged the worst, and this is honestly, I'm not a cynical person, but we do live in a cynical age. Mm-hmm. Like Tilda Swindon's character is so good at realizing and rationalizing the, um, the effort to kill people. Mm-hmm. specifically Arthur and specifically Michael, Tom Wilkinson and George Clooney's characters. But, but her like arduous self-reflection of whether or not to actually go through with it in that scene in, on the New York streets. Like, I don't, I don't think that that scene ages poorly. I think that the ethos ages poorly mm. of, like of a company that kills well this is more kind of the one flaw of the movie which is the company's products killed people Mm -hmm. but but she has difficulty killing i don't think that's a flaw but but i don't think that's a flaw necessarily a flaw because you don't think it's an inconsistency no i i don't think because you know it's probably rationalized away i mean she wasn't i don't think from the timeline i doubt that she was involved in this type of corporate malfeasance and in negligence in the first place i mean if, yeah. if she's the if she's the outside lawyer that was brought in for this right yeah. it's it, it would be easy i think from her character to make the moral judgment in the first place that okay i can work for this company the same way that clooney does for the representation for representing when he, when he talks to when he talking to wilkinson and saying that you know this this case sucks i get it right but yeah. the fact that when it's personal like it's a one-on-one decision for somebody that presumably she's gonna she's work with and it's it's one person it's the it's the you know killing 300 is a statistic or versus one is a yeah. tragedy type of, that type yeah. of thing so yeah. it, it doesn't strike me as an inconsistency not not really i i could you know 
putting myself in the own in that in that situation i mean i hopefully i'm never <laughs> i don't think i'll ever be in that type of situation yeah, but still yeah. yeah i should i should re-up uh the, we see through the movie the thread of her coming to grips with her humanity of the awful things that she has to do so i i i embrace that i understand that what i what i meant i suppose is the is that for everything that she's rationalizing for all the scenes that we see of her coming to grips with what she has to do that like her telling the hitman or the the follower whatever it is to take out arthur she is hemming but there's no other scene in which you see her have flaws in her facade Mm. she is so straight with the line she reads the line as is every single time well i have to disagree with you on that because isn't that what the first scene in the movie is you know when she's preparing it's not public it's not public though Mm. it's not public when she's in the public face Mm. she is stone cold but but all the scenes every single scene that we see her Privately, she's agonizing over the choices that she makes, over the defenses that she has to draw. Like, and that's what I—that's what won her the Oscar for me. That's what makes it so compelling for me is the fact that that's that's something about this movie too. Is I was I, I was talking about this with my wife after seeing the movie because my wife's view, she enjoyed the movie tremendously, but. She said that um, the one female character who's actually mm. drawn out, who actually has more than one uh, dimension, uh, is a bad guy. And I said, as a, I said, okay, I, I hear what you're saying. Uh, is it not, though, do you not see layers and dimensions to the person which she was playing and isn't and this is my heavy-handed like what about ism but like is it not progress to show women in any role good or bad because you never see her it's not like she's dying for a guy or, yeah she's not like, like she's not the she's of, not the she's not the stock yeah. she's not like a stock strong female yeah, character yeah you know? yeah exactly it's not it's not there's nothing there's no artifice about like she is someone she is a lawyer she's good at what she does and she is going through the recognition that what she has to do is inherently evil but she has to do it and uh so i i've lost my thread you lost your thread yeah i mean i i I would go the other way i would go the other way for that that scene i mean i think it just underscores just that the the length, just the enormity of what the action she's going to talk about. And the fact that she's a lawyer and she's, she's talked, her entire life has been talked to this, been, been, it's, it, it, you know, it, it fits in two ways for me. It fits in the fact that it, it underscores the enormity of what this is going from just, you know, what she's trying to do as a lawyer to ordering a hit for practically, yeah. but also talking in that same sort of corporate that talking about something but not really talking about it that's this this trademark of the core of corporate speak um yeah sure. you know which which she's so used to I me mean, i've had yeah. bosses that i could see approaching if they were ever going to order a hit you know this is the kind of way they talk about it because it's 
it's Wait, you know but, the, it, but remember too is that that's the corporate speak is the same as hitman speak yeah that's very true and think of a statement like the little tiny statement of parallel that the film is making is yep. fucking really apt very very Stop. true all right, we've talked about the what's age, which age are worst about yeah. best of the long time. But this is my one of my favorite categories, the heat check performance, the Dion Waiters heat check performance. So I think this is pretty easy. Who has the most uh, mercurial scene for, part in this movie? It's it's Tom Wilkinson, right? Yeah, it's gotta, I mean, it's got to be. Who it's got to be. The showiest, the like, showiest part, I guess, you know? Anytime you can yeah. be that crazy, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but but like supporting actors always put up like in a way more memorable performances anyway than like yeah lead it's very true i mean like, and you could say the same thing i mean yeah. i also i mean sydney pollock's a pretty pretty good nominee here it's not tom, tom wilkinson but he has totally. such he he only has a couple of scenes but every one of them is, is fantastic yeah um but honestly i can yeah. only think of four uh, i mean other than the hitman the hitman there are only Kid, four his scenes son. in this movie that yeah, but but the son is I mean the, the son does not count. Clooney's <laughs> Clooney, uh, Clooney's brother, the cop. They're they're kind of non-existent. This film revolves around four separate people, and if we're honest, like three separate people, hmm. with one heavy fourth being Sidney Pollack. Right. This film revolves okay. like, but it revolves around Tom Wilkinson. And and George Clooney and Tilda Swinton, Arthur, right. Michael, and who says the lawyer's name? What what um? What's that? Is it Karen? It's Karen, right? Karen. It's Karen Crowder is her name. Yeah, it's funny because I don't hear her name said. Where it's where Arthur the fuck? Where the where the fuck is Karen Crowder in the very first? Yeah, scene? exactly. Yeah, when, yeah. yeah. that's All right. right. Okay. So it's it's Tom Wilkinson for this category. So next yeah. one after this, the overacting award. I don't know. I couldn't really think of anything. Not really for this movie uh, for overacting. Maybe the guy at the poker game with the uh, the bought hair. Yeah, uh, I hate that guy. Or but, uh, but he's playing an asshole, and you already you hate him during his two scenes. So maybe the go. maybe maybe his son. I have no idea. That's the only that's the only two overacting nominees that I could possibly think of for this movie. Uh, who Anna? Oh yes, you know who that actress is. That's Catherine uh, Caitlin Devers. She's a like a kind of a rising in in um, the um, a Marriage Story. She's Scarlett Johansson's sister in a Marriage Story. This is this is kind of like her first oh, role. Yeah, wow. she's in that HBO series Run with Donald Gleason. So she's kind of like a fast rising actress. I think she won a couple of Emmys for Nurse Jackie. She was on that show. But this is kind of her first wow. ever role. But yeah, that's funny. It's it's one of those. I didn't even rec. I've seen this movie, uh, you know, dozens of times. This, that was the first time I'd recognized her from actually being in that role. So, yeah, fascinating. Um, all right, yeah. so no overacting, casting. What ifs? I mean, the only one I could find for this one is the fact that Denzel Washington Denzel. could have been the Clooney role, which I think he would have been great at. It would have uh, worked, honestly. Would have worked, yeah. Like just as well. Honestly. Yeah, I think so too. Just as well, because I, I, I mean, it's Denzel Washington. It's one of the greatest A-list leading men in the history of this business. Who else so could have done? You, who else could have done the Karen Crowder role? If you think, if you were, 
Just, just, just now just give me a name. or in two thousand and seven? Uh, yeah. Let's let's not limit it. I mean, well, who do you think? Kate, okay, Kate Blanchett. Kate Blanchett. Now, yeah. Obviously, I mean, she's um, worked with Clooney before too. So, yeah. You know, you know who would have killed? Honestly, I mean, just who might have won an Oscar as well? I mean, is um, is Kate Winslet? Mm. Kate Winslet yeah, in two thousand seven. Excellent. Yeah, you know that probably could have won her. That I could have seen that. Yeah, Tilda Swinton's just such an interesting and automatically interesting actress. You know, she she's there's all there's she's just a you cannot take your eyes off of Swinton for anything yeah. she does. You know, she's just one of she's yeah. like a she's like the Jack Nichol. She's almost like a Jack Nichol, female Jack Nicholson. Just, there's something so fascinating about her. Yeah, yeah. The, and just, just the I mean, yeah. you you think of her as just kind of this indie actress right she she comes she she comes to what she comes to fame for being like a performance artist that she's got these she's always in these you know crazy indie movies and she's doing all of these weird things but when she dips her toe into these commercial waters i mean the first thing she yeah. does that is really in this that realm i she was even in there was a movie called constantine that she did which was um with Keanu, with um Keanu with Reeves. Keanu? yes yeah. She plays uh, an angel uh, or some sort of uh, who the hell does she play? She plays a she plays like some sort of a, a spawn, a, like a devil spawn, and she's she's fantastic. She's fucking amazing yeah. in this movie. But you know, yeah. it's a, this typical action. It's a typical like action movie. But she's great. She's got her hair like cut a shaved. She got like cut, cut her into. I don't. I forget. It's just so good. Um, but yeah, yeah, and then she, and then even in, you know, she was great as the in the Doctor Strange. She was the the other one too. Yeah, so. sure. And yeah. every time she pops up in one of these, even in that, um, I didn't like. I don't really like. Uh, I didn't really like that that movie. That uh, the what's his name? It's we need with, to talk about Kevin. No, that, well, that's a that's a boy. That's a hell of a movie too. I but never no, saw. I'm, it. I'm thinking of the movie that she did with Amy Schumer, Trainwreck. She played the boss, and she played Amy Schumer's boss in Trainwreck for like a little cameo. But I forgot that. Yeah, sure. Yeah. It's wonderful yeah. that it, it's I wonderful don't remember when you it see, at all. Now it's wonderful when you see Tilda Swinton just popping up in all these like yeah. when the when she pops up in the commercial movies, like oh, this is great. When you know you think of her as just this kind of this kind of indie indie. Yeah like a Parker Posey from the early nineties type of an indie darling doing sure. all these wacky, crazy movies, but like when she pops up in this. So yeah, yeah, it's just a pleasure that we had her. And yeah, those, that's the only, I mean, I couldn't think Tom Wilkinson's like perfectly cast, but you know, you know it's who could have done the Swindon role is uh, Viola Davis. Mm. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Davis. I thought you were good. The, yeah. Like, I, and I'm thinking, I hate to say it because I, the movie is awful. But her character in Suicide Squad, oh, God. of a corporate type who is have who like who is multidimensional, basically. Right. Yeah. Like that only good thing. Me, only good thing about that movie, and even in the scene yeah. where she just randomly shoots all the people. Yeah, I mean the the movie is terrible, but she is she remains as good as she is as as people you are know, good in this. You know, some, in, something in I'm thinking. Something I'm thinking of, uh, randomly enough, but yeah. you know, Clooney and Swinton are in Burn After Reading, like a year later, which is still one of uh, the funniest movies. I think, like, it's a movie that gets funnier every time you see it. Wouldn't it have been oh. funny if, if 
John Malkovich played the played the Tom Wilkinson role because that's something he could have done too. Just oh, thinking about that, and it could have just been a bird after him. reading. They could have just gone yeah. right from Tony Gilroy to the Coens very smooth. That would have been fun. Yeah. He would he would have owned that, and he might have actually won an Oscar because he you know he's been nominated a couple times for that. Um, it's great. It's great. So half-assed internet research, there's not a whole lot for this. Uh, just one interesting fact. There was an entire part for the actress Jennifer L, E-H-L-E. Um, if you remember her, she's she was in the adaptation, the Pride and Prejudice adaptation, like the the famous one with Colin Firth on early 90s British television. The, yeah, 95 yeah. BBC, yeah, sure. And she also played the in Contagion. She was the scientist that ends up, finding the she injects herself with the thing yeah. um to yeah. make herself get well she's like she's always like really great and everything everything she is yeah. but she got cut she played Clooney's girlfriend in this movie um and they felt really bad about like Clooney felt really bad about it so I think he cast her as his wife in uh the Ides of March which came out a couple of years later that's the, oh. was the that was like uh, yeah the, with Gosling yeah, with Gosling. It was based. Is, it was based off a play called Farragut North. Farragut North by the, by the, a New York based, or a, a DC based film writer or yeah. uh, playwright. Yeah, I, the Farragut North. I always think of that whenever a time I visit you. I was like, I look at, I see that, I see the uh, the stops. I'm like, oh yeah, Farragut yeah. North. I remember that play. Sure. Um, it's like that there's, play. Yeah. there's just there's not a whole lot about this movie that's that's in the trivia section. You know, normally there's some there are some fun. Uh, there are some fun things about the trivia, but uh, I think it just speaks to how straightforward this movie is that there's just not a whole lot of like behind the scenes drama or like casting what ifs or last minute, last minute addition, last minute edits, you know, it's not Armageddon. That's for sure. Um, you know, I mean, remember though, there is the, the, this movie is pointing to, I mean, the direct attack of this film is, uh, Monsanto in a way. I mean, it's not Monsanto, but they're talking about Roundup. I mean, they're talking about mm-hmm. literal, a literal product that is that has killed people, but also the the unmoored corporation, and that's the satisfaction of this movie that doesn't exist ultimately in real life, which is nailing Monsanto to the wall, right, and catching them inside of their misdeeds. I mean, we've had these experiences before, but that's the one optimism of the film that doesn't exist in our in own or real life. How many different fucking companies have we seen? I mean, this like, yeah. you know, Wells Fargo still Wells Fargo selling our identities yeah. or, you know, the, yeah. all, if, God, who knows? There's, there's yeah. A, I mean, all I mean, which, the which products, is, which is I mean, one of the Johnson things Johnson and Johnson killed, sell, sold aspirin that killed people. Yeah. Like, I mean, what? <laughs> how much worse do you get? Well, I, yeah, I remember I mean, Dimatab. I took Dimatab every, like, every time I was sick from the ages of zero to eight. And then all of a sudden they said, oh, you can't take Dimatab anymore. Or what's, well, I think the best example of the last year, I mean, look at what Boeing did for Christ's sakes. Oh, have you read God. any of the stuff that they that they did for the, the like the fuck ups yeah. for their new plane? It's just Crazy. incredible. Like, all right, they were, they rushed that out and they had two, two fucking planes crashed into a, like killed like 400 people. So, yeah. And they yeah. remember too, that they launched PR campaigns mm-hmm. against the pilots and against against the systems against nigerian pilots which is an inherent 
racist attack yeah against they said well they're just not they're just not as trained as us really really boeing but you're you're is it an add-on software it's like it's like buying apps on your your screen except that it's a plane oh you need <laughs> you like need to update simpsons, your software. it's like the simpsons like the simpsons tapped out but you just gotta upgrade all the rest of that yeah stuff. exactly it's oh god it's insane all right insane. next what a world next category uh unanswerable questions the first one that popped in my mind is like what ha- how much what how much did uh you north get fined I'd say, and I already said it, it's very, very cynical about this. They probably got like a $10 million penalty and maybe the, maybe the, the CEO was forced to resign or something like that. But they're probably still in business today and still making some other shit that, you know, it's, they're probably making that tobacco from the Simpsons that turns, uh, you know, that turns all the cows against, against their owners or something like that. Sure. But yeah, there's no chance that they actually got a whole lot of, they actually, they actually got a, you know, you know, you say something intro. I didn't think about. It. I've never thought about this in the many, many times I've thought about this movie, which is that in 2007, if their name is You North, mm-hmm. that name is that name because of either a merger or a rebranding. I think either they said it was. I think good. they said it was United North. You yeah, know, it was, okay. United but, North. So but, you're thinking that you're thinking they changed the name, like Blackwater changed its name I'm, to whatever exactly. the hell that new thing is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Where, here's exactly. a here's a question for you. Where does U North rank in the all-time evil companies for movies? Like we got this, we got Waylon Yutani from from the Alien yeah, franchises. Sure. Um, you have U- Omni, UBS, Omni, UBS from Network. Yeah, uh, UBS uh, Omni Consumer Products from Robocop. <laughs> and then uh, um, by, the Tyro- what's the, the Wally? What's Wally? Buy stuff. Buy big. God, jeez, I haven't. Th- What's thought the about company? This. It's a, it's the Costco, Walmart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I forget. Like, or uh, what about the Tyrell Corporation from Blade Runner? Oh my God, of course, Blade Runner. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah well, I think so this bad. is we we that that would be a nice list. The ranking us ranking the top yeah. evil corporations and or in 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 all sure. of movie history. But yeah. That's good. All right. So yeah. unanswerable questions. How did Michael Clayton uh, after he supposedly got gets blown up? How did he coordinate such a, a huge police sting with his brother, the NYPD cop? Because wouldn't this be kind of a federal case? You know what I mean? I think totally, but I think he owed his brother one yeah. because because his brother got him out of the jam with the sealed with the sealed um with the sealed door. I think if he went to his brother and was like, "I have the biggest." the biggest corporate expose but uh, but i'm saying how would yeah. the nypd have jurisdiction unless it was an attempted murder type of that's what they were trying to nail him on but you think they'd have well, to get like the fbi no, and the sec no, and and the uh, no, fda no, but remember remember the movie implies this too the movie implies this with uh tom wilkinson's speech in the alley where he says i've committed no crime in new york city you have no jurisdiction here but George Clooney has them nailed on crimes committed in New York City. Yeah. They, they, uh, there was attempted murder and then successful murder. Right. And he's got her on recording. Remember, look, Clooney has the phone in his pocket. If she never says, okay, fine, I murdered the guy. If Deal. she never yeah. like tacitly admits to it, then all those NYPD officers, they go to the nearest fucking mm. Tim Hortons. Yeah, that's true. Um, 
unanswerable questions. Do you have any? Uh, you have any other ones? Um, yeah, I mean, the unanswerable questions to me are like, well, I, the all the questions that the movie deliberately doesn't answer, which are, what happens to Michael? Like, does the, the I mean, the 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 uh, the law firm has to sue him. The law right? firm's probably not going. Well, you got to remember the law firm's going down the tubes because they had to. Yeah. They had to get this. They had to end this, which was pretty much. It seemed like that was pretty much all they did was the U North law, the U North lawsuit. They had to get that finalized to finish the merger with whatever the the English yeah. company was, so they could yeah. all kind of survive, which apparently wasn't sure. going to happen. So you got to figure that. I mean, it goes down and. I don't know. I like to, th- it, it seemed like what that last taxi ride was kind of like the cleansing of like the a cleansing thing, kind of a reset for his life. So you got to think maybe he goes back to being a trial lawyer somewhere. Maybe he's go back, goes back to being a DA or something like that. Oh, I think he's ruined and he's rationalizing himself over it. He's rationalizing his that. I mean, there, the, look, any scene where you're getting a close up in the back of a car driving down the streets is a visual reference to the graduate. Mm. And I think the point that's made is that there's some envy and some like ambivalence even about, uh, about whatever action you took. That's what I love about the movie is that it never really says that like it kind of, the the that last shot kind of dictates that Michael is rationalizing his decision, but it's clear that he's a, like a tiny bit conflicted over the road that he could have taken. I don't think he's conflicted in terms of his morals. I think he's conflicted in terms of his his literal like his his existence. I, I mean, I because think, he yeah. Sorry. Go on. No, I just say, I mean, I, I kind of see it. The other, I mean, I think that it's, I think that it was his cathartic moment happened when he's, you know, yelling back about the, the Shiva, the, the, um, the Shiva, the God of death. And then yeah. you could tell that it, it, this is the fact that he's just got to get out of there and just, this is, this is his way of venting all the frustration that's been building up. And this is his way of freeing himself, I think. Yeah. And from that's how I envisioned that last scene. I agree. I agree with all of that. But I think that I think that the movie, the fact that he remember he gives the taxi driver fifty bucks mm-hmm. and says just drive. That reference to me is that he needs he needs to sit in a car. He needs to take this in for himself. Yeah. And he needs to not talk and he needs to kind of take in what's just happened because he knows he's killed his, his relationship. And he just signed that contract for that check to pay off the, 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 well, he's bank. still this relationship with the, with the, the firm, obviously, which mm-hmm. is what was shackling him, frankly. Yeah. But hasn't he kind of repaired his relationship with his family at the same time, you know, his extended family with his brother and, both yeah. of his brothers, you know. So. But that's one of the. It's it's not a huge issue, but it's one the one of the tiny tips of the film for me is that we know that he has a bad relationship with his brother, and then he leans on his brother for a favor, and I suppose that's the end of it. Mm. But I, I don't know. I could have wished for some more 
direction because it's just one dimension. It's a one dimensional split. Other than that, he's angry at his brother. He needs his brother. Then he's happy, and that's the end of it. But there's no. It doesn't point in any direction of what he needs. His brother's never really drawn out other than a couple of sentences and that, you know, he fucked up the restaurant. Um, Interesting. Which, yeah. which, by the way, let's dwell on this for a moment. Remember restaurants? <sighs> yeah, I know. I, I, supposedly it's not too far before they're going to start opening up here. So uh, I uh, supposedly... Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I'm actually, you know, not this week, but the week after next, I'm my, I'm going to my uncle's hotel up in upstate New York for a week. Oh yeah, he that's right. open it up, so I'm psyched. Apparently, there are restaurants for outdoor dining open up there, so I don't give a shit. I'm getting out of the city for like a week and seeing something other than these four walls for like yeah. a week. And I'm very, very happy about that. So nice. I'm psyched, but that's a, you, that's buddy. that's a happy thing. All right, so we have one more category to go. Yeah. Could this be remade as a 10-episode Netflix miniseries? Yeah. I think so. I think it could. And I think the, the miracle of this movie is the fact that it it works so well as a movie when it really could have been stretched out for a 10-episode 10 10 episode Netflix miniseries. You know? I mean, that's an It's got the development that... It's got the development and depth of character for just these, but it's only for those three characters. It's got the yeah. development of the depth of character and the and the intelligence that um, some of the prestige television of the last decade has, but just yeah. in a two hour and ten minute whatever it is type of a format. So yeah, I think it could work. I, I think you'd. I don't know how you. I mean, the idea of a law firm fixer is something that's you know certainly. I mean, Christ, isn't this the isn't this the um, What's his name? Cohen. Is this the Michael? Is this the yeah, Michael sure. Cohen? Yeah, is this the Michael, Michael Cohen. Cohen. <laughs> what granted, a similar name, too. What a crazy. Jesus, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. I, never I wonder. About it either. <laughs> was 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 that ever mentioned with the? I mean, was that ever mentioned no, with the Michael Cohen? No, Clayton? never. Yeah, it should have been. I'm a fucking journalist. No, you are a fucking that. journalist. That's, we both we both went crazy. we both went to Emerson we both went to Emerson College for Christ's sakes. Yeah, we're both it's we're both bred we're, into us. To we're both journalists. Theories. How did we yeah, how did we not yeah. fucking do this? We should just write the we should just the Michael Clayton sequel should be just called Michael Cohen, and we could have uh, him I'm, playing it. We could have Damon. We could have Damon. We could have Damon uh, playing it or, or Affleck or something. Oh else. yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I'm like I'm too angry to be up like. Ha- or I'm too happy to be angry. I'm too happy to have discovered this, to be angry that I did not yet discover this. Mm, this yeah. fucking crazy. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I think about but, that. Yeah. But yeah, but the point is, is that w- if this was a 10 part series on Netflix, which it would be an excellent one. Um, it would be an excellent it, one. Hopefully. I mean, the, the, it would have to hinge not on action, but on words. Uh, but by, by the way, I just I just googled Michael Cohen, Michael Clayton. There's like 11 different articles about this oh <laughs> comparison. Oh, so <laughs> VultureProgressive.org, uh, uh, Filmonomy, New York Magazine. Okay. Yeah, uh, from Michael Cohen to Michael Clayton, a look at the fixer. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. So better journalists than us have tread this right. ground. Clearly, clearly. Um, so I feel good then. Um, but the point is, is that if this was a 10-part series the role of Michael Clayton is not nearly as overarching as it is. Uh, all yeah. the, like you would have to do true discovery of 
the of the crimes that Monsanto, I mean you North, uh, committed, you'd have to do there like there'd have to be a quorum of lawyers and not just Swindon, kind of in her own experience. Yeah, you'd see it, more. It, it, you'd see more of the corporation. More of the corporation, more of the Sydney Pollock role, more of the the, the Barry role. I mean, yeah. all the characters are there for this to be a fully socked cast. Totally. It's just it would actually totally. it would actually seem to be pretty easy to adapt it for a ten episode miniseries. So I, mean, you, yeah, I wonder if that happens sometime. Yeah. I well, if not, it it ought, or, or I mean, just or it's a, it's or it's a prequel. Yeah. It's a it's some sort of prequel where it shows him, you know. A typical year in the life of it, all the different things he's got to, he's got to fix. I, I, ha- I hesitate yeah. to, for that to for that to be the the role, because the, that to be the result, because it, then it would seem like kind of every other you know lawyer show out there. But um, who knows? Yeah. I'm about to use prequel as a verb, but uh, if you were to prequel this, mm-hmm. the cool arc would be his journey from a public defender into a fixer. Because he was a public defender, and then he was a litigator, and Michael Clayton then like transitioned in this fixer role. Yeah, like, presu- clear, and, and, and then yeah. presumably and you know, his gambling problems played a played a part played a, played a totally. role into that because that's probably. Yeah. I, mean, I think it's implied that it's kind of his street his street yeah. sensibility that gives him the the kind of. May, may, it's about how that happens, and then in parallel, how the may, maybe there's three tracks. To this maybe it's in parallel you see the first interactions of you North um, with it's funny. It almost turns into that, uh, that movie, the informant in a, in a strange way yeah. uh, about that. Some, you know, the, speaking of Soderbergh, yeah. but yeah, it's, it's that you could, it could happen in parallel if it's that kind of prequel tracks, you know? Um, yeah. And then, yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of different directions you can go down there. I wonder if that's ever been proposed, but uh, who, knows? who knows? Maybe we can just take this to Netflix. Maybe it's a, uh, Let's use our Emerson connections and, and yeah, exactly. Go about writing this prequel. Oh, uh, guys! Well, we got a quarantine going on. We got a show for you. What the yeah. fuck? Yeah, it's about lawyers in an office. You can you can actually you can you can make it over Zoom. <laughs> you may it now. You may write the fuck now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, Damn. I think that's I think that's as good a place as any to end. But surely this is episode one of our rewatchable series. Let's pick out the next movie we should do for this right now. I have a, I have a, I have a proposal for you because I watched it last night. A serious man. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a contentious mm. podcast, but you got it. Really, you don't like the serious man. I. All right, well, let's 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 try. We got to save it. I'm. Co- I got oh, you know what? Let's, let's let's do Tinker Tailor Silver yeah. Spy. Well, I'm I'm da- look, I'm down for that 100%, but What are you but thinking? No, no, you said you said serious man. I could do serious man. No, 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 it has to be a consensus for both of us. But what were well, you thinking? What were you thinking? Uh, look, for rewatchables, I there's something I I got to tell you when when we were just when we were talking about eyes wide shut that to me i mean every kubrick movie is a rewatchable film i think the least rewatchable are probably like lolita and full metal jacket honestly but eyes wide shut and i don't mean this in a chauvinist way eyes wide shut is incredibly rewatchable yeah and that would be interesting to talk about yeah i haven't seen it in a while so you know what let's let's do that i 
I'd like, I mean, obviously you talk about Kubrick for forever. So I will watch yeah. Eyes Wide Shut, Naked, um, within a couple, within a week or so, and we will do Eyes Wide Shut uh, for this. Then we'll have hit, um, yeah, we'll have, we'll hit Kubrick, and then we'll move on to... Uh, At the you know, very in the, least, in, in the look, every, there are so many movies... Yeah. to rewatch but let's if we let's look at our there's a specific post 9-11 pre-obama mm, era and i think we should keep our eyes on that good idea. actually so which which kicks out eyes wide shot yeah um it does well what's so let's what's let's, let's let's take a look let's look at for example the 2008 uh, let's look at the 2006 oscars good idea. it's a good idea babe so the 2006 oscars oh god crash um <laughs> oh, wait, wait, wait. no no yeah God. crash so it was crash brokeback mountain good night and good luck and munich uh were the best picture nominees that year um god crash good night good luck would be an interesting rewatch i mean we just talked about it you're gonna 07, me, but i've never seen munich that's the one movie you just listed that i've never munich seen is 75 for 75 percent of that movie it's one of spielberg's top three movies but he just does not nail the ending uh, and you'll see yeah. when you watch it hey uh this all oh, i don't i don't know what we should do 77th academy awards sideways oh yeah oh my god that's it right uh, that we have movie, to do sideways that movie is fucking rewatchable man okay that let's movie. do sideways. and look let me tell you i'm just gonna say this right now I saw it in theaters with Greg Kulaga. Oh, well, we should get Kulaga in here. He could. If that, yeah. <laughs> if that doesn't tell you we got to do it. Oh, sideways. We yes. should do, let's, let's do sideways. Sideways is our next one. And, you know, we should, we could even get like Trevor or Steph in there. I know that's, I know they love this, that movie. We should get like a couple yeah. more Emerson people in for that one. Dude, and we'll all get Pinot Noir to drink. You could, I'm not fucking it. drinking. I'm not fucking, what was that line? Yes, I mean, I've never had, are. I've never, yes, I've you never had a glass of wine in my life. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's this is the time. What's to start. the line? I'm not fucking drinking Merlot. Yeah. Okay. I'm not drinking fucking Merlot. Fucking drinking Paul oh. Among Me. Oh, what a great actor. All right, man. A, I'm out of here. I'm gonna go to sleep because I get up in the morning and do nothing in quarantine. Yeah. Also, I can't see you when we're on fucking Zoom. So. Oh yeah, I know. <laughs> I have my. I, I didn't turn. On. There's no lights in here. All right, man. You're the best. I love you. Peace. See you, buddy. Love you too. Bye. Bye. Bye.